one this morning, taking a break from Romans, have a Christmas message here this morning. <clears throat> I made it easy for you. Your scripture reading is also the text. <clears throat> but I encourage you to open up your Bible as well. Matthew 1. You know, there's an old saying, you've probably heard this before, I'm sure, but it's not what you know, it's who you know. And like a lot of old sayings, there's some truth in it. Um, if you are trying to get a job somewhere and you are friends of the owner, it just might help if during the job interview, you happen to mention that to the person doing the interview. And uh, while jobs are important, it's so much more important to have our sins forgiven so that we can spend eternity with God in heaven. So who do we need to know to get into heaven? Well, our text in Matthew chapter 1 here tells us that we need to, we need to trust Jesus Christ have our sins forgiven. You know, we live in a world that has a lot of religions and a lot of beliefs. And if you say that Jesus is the only way, sometimes you're going to upset people. I've upset people before by saying that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Oh, you're you're too exclusive. You're saying that your way is the only way. Well, it's, it's not my way, okay? First of all, it's God's way. I happen to be on that way, praise God, but if I wasn't on that way, it would still be the right way, all right? But Jesus is the way, and, and the Bible teaches that Jesus is, is the only way. And so you need to trust exclusively in Jesus Christ, for salvation. You need to trust exclusively in Jesus Christ for salvation. Three reasons from this text to trust in Jesus Christ. First, in verses 18 through 20, he has the right ancestry. We read these verses earlier. I'll read them again. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost." One of the major goals, it seems, that Matthew had when he wrote his gospel was to show the Jewish reader that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And Matthew starts with a genealogy. Now, most of us, if you're, you know, you're, you're doing your Bible reading, you come to the genealogies, it's not the most exciting portion of the Bible to read, all right? However, if that happened to be your genealogy, you happen to see your 
grandpa and grandma's name listed there would be quite a bit more interesting for you, at least it would for me. Right. But what Matthew is, is doing, and it's, it's really important, is he is showing the Jewish reader that the ancestry of Jesus Christ is exactly the right ancestry for the Messiah. And that is important. All right. We're going to look at three angles of Jesus' ancestry. First of all, the human ancestry through Mary, letter A there, where human would go in the blank if you're using that outline. Human ancestry through Mary. Now we'll look here a bit at the, at the story. And of course, when I say story, I don't want you to get the idea that this is just a story, like a fiction story. This is God's word, okay? This is true. This is God's inspired inerrant word. And so this is exactly what happened. Mary and Joseph, Joseph and Mary are espoused. The word espoused means to woo and to win, to betroth. The word betroth, interesting word. It means to be faithful, to, to, to make this vow here, all right? And the Jewish wedding was in three stages. First, there was the engagement stage. And this is, you know, it doesn't quite exactly fit. Normally, we would think today there we have engagements and then we have you know, weddings, have the marriage. And so you know, this doesn't quite exactly fit the way we do it today. There's the engagement. And this may have been arranged by the parents or sometimes arranged by matchmakers. Now, when I was young and single, the idea of my parents arranging my marriage would give me nightmares, right? After I had kids and started to think of, of some young man, you know, whisking my daughters off, I was changing my views on that whole process. I thought, you know, it would, it would make a whole lot of sense maybe for, for me to do that, right? Of course, that would have scared my children to death, all right? It's interesting, uh, about a year ago, went out to California to see our, our daughter, Emily, and uh, granddaughter, Felicity, son-in-law, Jacob, and Jacob uh, picked us up at the airport and just talking to Jacob, how is Felicity doing? You know, he's, he's, he's a great father, loves his, loves his daughter, and talking about her. And I said, next thing you know, you're going to be walking her down the aisle, okay? That kind of gave him a little, I'm not ready for that yet, okay? But my, my little girl, I don't, I don't know about this, walking her down the aisle. Well, thankfully, he's got a few years yet to, to prepare for that. But I suspect if I were to ask him that question now, he might be starting to see the wisdom that, you know, maybe it would be good to arrange this, this whole thing there. It kind of depends on your perspective, doesn't it? Well, from the Jewish perspective, it was usually arranged, sometimes arranged when the children were quite young, and, and oftentimes they didn't even know each other. John Phillips commenting on this, he says, the choosing of life's partner was considered far too serious a matter to be left to emotional impulse. All right, so there was the engagement period. Then there's the betrothal. 
And this involved a formal ratification of the marriage agreement. Vows were exchanged. Vows that would have looked a lot like vows that you would hear at a wedding today. This betrothal usually lasted a year. It allowed the couple to get to know each other, but they didn't, did not consummate the marriage. They didn't start living together yet. And this betrothal was so binding that it took a divorce to end it. And it was during this stage that Mary becomes pregnant with Jesus. And this is why Joseph is so troubled, because he knew that he was not the father. And so there's marriage, there's betrothal. I'm sorry, yeah, there's engagement, betrothal, and then there's the actual marriage. And this happened when the groom went with his wedding party to get his bride in the parable in Matthew chapter 25 of the 10 virgins. That is what hap is happening. It's been the year and the groom has his place prepared and he is going to get his bride. Sometimes it happened at night, okay? And they would have their, their big wedding feast and then they would start to live together, right? But it's in the betrothal period here in the story of, of Mary and Joseph where, where Matthew writes. And so Mary likely told Joseph about the visit of the angel Gabriel, about the Holy Spirit placing the Lord Jesus Christ within her. But who's going to believe a story like that? And so imagine Mary's concern for Joseph. She's thinking, what am I going to do to convince this man? But God solved the problem for her. You see, Mary was the right person. I mentioned genealogies here a while ago. Matthew gives the genealogy of, of Joseph. Luke seems to give Mary's in Luke chapter 3. And so what's interesting is we're not going to read through all the genealogies here this morning, but both Joseph and Mary were of the tribe of Judah. Both were of the offspring of David. Joseph was directly in the kingly line through Solomon. We'll look more at that a little later. And Mary was through Solomon's full brother, Nathan. Luke chapter 3, verse 31 tells us that. And so going through Nathan connected the Lord Jesus Christ to David while avoiding the curse on Jeconiah. I'm going to go to Jeremiah chapter 22 here for just a little bit. You're welcome to open your Bible there as well. Old Testament prophet Jeremiah chapter 22. Jeremiah, of course, is called the weeping prophet. He wrote during the time just before, during, and slightly after the Babylonian captivity of Judah. And Jeremiah started his ministry during the reign of good King Josiah. Josiah, good and godly king. Sadly, he didn't live too long. And his brothers and his sons, none of them reigned very long. And they were all during the time when the uh, nation of Judah was falling apart and going into captivity. There were three different captivities over 
quite a period of time. One of those kings was Jeconiah, and he was a very ungodly man, and God was not pleased with him. Jeremiah 22, verse 24 says, As I live, saith the Lord, though Keniah, Keniah, another name for Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, yet would I pluck thee thence. And I will give thee into the hand of them that seek thy life, into the hand of those whom, whose face thou fearest, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of the Chaldeans. And I will cast thee out, and thy mother that bare thee, into another country where you were not born, where you shall not die. All right. And so God was not happy with, with, uh, with Jeconiah here. Reading on verse 27, but unto the land whereunto they desire to return, thither shall they not return. Is this man, Kaniah, a despised broken vessel? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into a land which they not, know not? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write this man childless. A man shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting on the throne of David, ruling anymore in Judah. So, of course, Joseph is through this line, but because Mary is also of the tribe of Judah, of the line of David, but her bloodline doesn't go through Jeconiah, and she avoids this, this curse that way. And so Jesus' bloodline came through Mary, we see there his human ancestry through Mary, his royal ancestry through Joseph. Mentioned earlier, Joseph was directly in the line of the Davidic kings. You'll notice in chapter 1, verse 20 here, what the angel said to him, Joseph, thou son of David. David, that great and godly king, uh, way back there. And had there been a Davidic king reigning in Israel, at that point in time, it would have been Joseph, okay? Joseph, or perhaps, you know, if his dad was still alive, maybe, but, okay? Joseph is in the, in the kingly. He's directly in the king of line. And, and what is he doing? He's a carpenter of very modest means. And instead, this usurper, this Edomite, Herod, we're going to talk about him tonight, okay? He is ruling on the throne, which is... Sad, all right? That that's, was Israel at that state, all right? And so later on, when Joseph takes Mary as his wife, he is also, in a sense, uh, claiming this baby, adopting this baby. And, and Joseph knew, and, and Bible believers today know, that the Holy Spirit was the cause of Mary's pregnancy, not Joseph, nor any other human being. But Joseph claimed the baby, and this put Jesus in the royal line, all right? But before Joseph knew this, he had this dilemma. It appeared that Mary had been unfaithful to him. Now Luke chapter 1 verse 56 tells us that after Mary got the announcement from the angel Gabriel that she spent three months with her cousin Elizabeth, and I think Mary became pregnant right away after the angel visited her. 
And you know, maybe she told Joseph about the pregnancy when she got back. We don't, don't know the timeline here. Uh, some things just can't be hidden very well. Okay? A pregnant lady, after a while, it just is, is obvious that there's something going on here. Right? It, Joseph finds out about it. Joseph was a just man, it says there in, in verse 19. He was a man who really and truly loved God. He was really a credit to his great, great, however many great grandfather, David. Man who loved God, a man who made it his goal in life to, to follow God's word. He doesn't want to give his approval to sin. And if Mary had been complicit in an adulterous relationship, he couldn't be part of that. And he wanted to avoid it. Right? Now, according to Old Testament law, if she had been complicit in that kind of a relationship, that and the man you know, could have been stoned. Uh, Deuteronomy 24.1 uh, tells us that there was another option. They could just write a bill of divorcement. Now, stoning in that situation, I don't think was taking place in New Testament times, at least not very frequently. And while Joseph is thinking about this, he comes to the conclusion he would just quietly give her a, a bill of, of divorcement, right? Um, Joseph, though, a godly man, not a man who rushes off to a decision, and he's thinking about it. And we'll get more to that later. We see the divine ancestry here, though, through uh, through the Holy Spirit, verse 18, the divine ancestry through the Holy Spirit. We know that God, the Holy Spirit, was the author of the pregnancy. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 35. Luke chapter 1, 30 through 35. Here is the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. Luke 1, 30 through 35. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. For thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Reading on. Then said Mary the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. All right, and so we have here what's called the virgin birth, and it was actually not just a virgin birth, it was a virgin conception. Now when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to be careful that we don't get the idea that Jesus Christ came into existence at this point in history. Okay? Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He's always existed in eternity past, as far back as you can go, stop there, drive in a nail, tie a rope on it, and throw a nail farther back in eternity past. Okay? He was there. He's always been there. He didn't come into existence. What he did do here is he took on human flesh. Sometimes we throw around the big word called the incarnation. 
Incarnation simply means taking on flesh. You've probably heard of somebody called a carnal Christian. Simply means a fleshly Christian. Comes from the Greek word karnos. Okay, and so carnal here can simply mean flesh. It's not always a bad thing. We're in the flesh here this morning. I'm glad you're in the flesh this morning. Okay, you wouldn't be here. All right. Jesus took on human flesh. God became man. All right. Why did Jesus do that? Well, Jesus needed to be both God and man to be our Savior. He needed to be God in order to be sinless. He needed to be God in order to pay an infinite price, the price of our sin, in a finite period of time. He needed to be man in order to, in order to die. God cannot die. <clears throat> he needed to be man in order to pay man's sin debt in man's territory, a body. You've heard me say this before, but God did not become an angel to pay the sin of angels, okay? He didn't take on angel flesh. He took on human flesh, right? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 10, gives us some insight here. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 10. The Bible says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. Jesus needed a body. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hadst no pleasure. Then I said, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure in them, which are offered by law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that's the first covenant, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified or made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You can see a body is important here. He needed a body. And so God took on human flesh. Jesus remained both God and man, right? So we see the divine ancestry here through the Holy Spirit. You and I need to trust exclusively Jesus Christ for salvation. He has the right ancestry. He has the right name, verses 21 through 23. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now this was, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Joseph has that admirable trait of patiently waiting on God while decision-making. When you and I have to make decisions and we don't have to make it right away and we have some time, spend that time in prayer. Spend that time seeking God's will. Joseph did that. I expect Joseph did a lot of praying about this situation. And while he's considering it, he has this special dream. The angel of the Lord appears to him and explains the situation. And if Joseph had heard this from Mary, then he's hearing it the second time from the angel. I want to emphasize here the names. First of all, Jesus the Savior, verse 21. 
angel tells Joseph what to name the baby. Name Jesus literally is Yahweh or Jehovah is salvation. It is a New Testament form of the Old Testament name Joshua. So Jesus, I believe, is the Yahweh. He is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. He is salvation. He came to die. This was the eternal plan of God. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20 uh, tells us this. This wasn't just some last-minute whim thought of God. God knew in eternity past that mankind would sin and would need a Savior. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 24, As much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And so he gave his life, he shed his blood on Calvary's cross for sins. He rose in victory over sin in the grave. He is the Savior. There is salvation in his name, in his name alone. You know, names mean something. If at the end of the service here, I get out the checkbook and I write each of you a check for $1 million and I sign my name to it, guess how much that check is worth? Nothing. Why? Because I'm not good for a million dollars, okay? My name is not good for a million dollars, okay? If, on the other hand, you happen to receive a check and it's signed Elon Musk or some other millionaire billionaire, you know what? And it's, and it's a genuine check. It is good for that amount of money because names mean something. So what name do we need to get into heaven? Okay. Names mean something here too, don't they? Jesus Christ is the only name that's going to get you into heaven. John chapter, we're going to look at a few scriptures here. John chapter 14, verse 6. Very familiar verse. I quote it a lot. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Peter preaching a message here. Another familiar verse, Acts 4, 10 through 12. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. They had just healed a, a lame man. This is the stone, that's Jesus, which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, not going to turn there, read those verses, but it's in that passage where the Bible says that it's at the name of Jesus that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So how many names are going to get you into heaven? Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. It's one name. You know, some people try a lot of different names. Some people try their own name. They wouldn't really probably say it this way, but kind of comes down to this. So I'm a pretty good person. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't robbed any banks. I think I'm okay. Who are they trusting in? They're really trusting in themselves, aren't they? Some trust in the name of Buddha. Some trust Allah or Muhammad or Confucius. Some trust in Mary. Okay? I think that those names are, are going to get them into heaven, but no, it's the name of Jesus Christ. So ask yourself this morning, what name are you trusting in for eternal life? I hope it's Jesus. If not, you need to put your trust in him today. There's another name here, Emmanuel, verses 22 and 23. And what does this name do for us? What fulfills prophecy? Matthew, back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, he is quoting from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. The prophet Isaiah wrote this some 700 years before Jesus came. It seems there was a partial fulfillment in the time of Isaiah. There's a complete fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled this Old Testament prophet of the Messiah. Name Emmanuel also tells us the name, the, the name means God with us. Now, some religions consider Jesus Christ to be a lesser God. They do not see Jesus Christ as fully God. Uh, the Mormons believe Jesus Christ is a God. Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus Christ is just a God. The Unitarians have their own unique view of the Trinity and Christ. It's not biblical. Uh, Islam calls Jesus a prophet. Okay, they, they call him something. But they don't put him in the position that he really is. Jesus Christ is God with us. Jesus told Philip in John chapter uh, 14, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When doubting Thomas missed the first resurrection visit of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, you know, ex except I can put my, you know, my hand in the wounds, I'm not going to believe. He was there a week later, and Jesus was there, and Jesus invited Thomas, okay, touch me. See if it's really me. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. All right. And so Jesus Christ is God with us. So when we think of the babe in the manger of Bethlehem, this is God in human flesh. You say, how can that be? I was just putting this together this week. I was thinking... You know, when a, a baby starts out, first at conception, there's not a whole lot of cells there, right? How can, how can you put God as just 
a newly conceived baby. How can you, if you can, I use the word reduce God to that? I don't know. Guess what? I don't have to know, okay? I just need to believe it. Uh, believe it, why? Because that's what the Bible says, right? And while Jesus Christ is there, he is still fully God and fully aware and in charge of, of what's going on. And so I've called upon this one to save me from my sins. I trust my soul to him for all of eternity. Who are you trusting in this morning? You need to trust exclusively in Jesus Christ for salvation. Has the right ancestry, has the right name, and he has the right parents. Now, you're thinking you kind of covered that when you talked about the right ancestry. I want to focus more on the obedience here, especially of Joseph here. Uh, Joseph and Mary were special people. Now, they were not sinless. Uh, Mary needed Jesus Christ to save her from the penalty of her sins, just as you and I do. But they were special in the task that they uh, performed for God. A couple of characteristics of Joseph here. Joseph is a man of faith. Joseph is a man of faith. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. Joseph wakes up from his dream. Next morning, just using my sanctified imagination here a little bit, or very soon after, I suspect, he visited Mary. He told her about the dream that he just had. I expect they had a, a special uh, little talk together. Joseph then takes Mary to live with him. And again, a groom could do this. There was nothing immoral. And what does this tell us? It tells us simply that Joseph believed God. In fact, as you look at Joseph, especially in chapter 2, as the angel would come to him with a message at various times, you just see Joseph simply obeying God and doing what he was supposed to do. And so Joseph was a man of faith. He had faith in God. Question for you this morning is, do you believe God? The real test of your belief is, the real test of your faith is your obedience. And Joseph is then a man of faith. He's a man of obedience. Let her, let her be there. He obeyed God and he took Mary to wife. He abstained from the normal physical relationship of married people until after the birth of Jesus. Um, he called his name Jesus. And what we see here is just simple obedience. You don't see Joseph acting like Gideon in the Old Testament. Joseph doesn't say, well, God, if you really mean it, you know, I'm going to put this fleece outside my house door this, this tonight, and I want it wet all over and my fleece dry. And Joseph doesn't do any of that. He just obeys God. He just trusts God. That's what we need to be. So how is your obedience to God this morning? Have you obeyed him? Areas in your life about salvation. It's where it starts. We need to put our faith and trust in him. Obedience and time in the word. You know, we have those Bible reading schedules. Encourage you to grab one of those. You don't have to wait till this January 1st 
to start on that either. You can start ahead of time, okay? Obeyed him about salvation, Bible reading, time in prayer, um, baptism, um, involvement in church, church membership, devotions, witness, life issues. Again, you know, how's your obedience to God, right? Joseph was a man of obedience. You need to trust exclusively. Should I trust in Jesus Christ? You say, well, there's a lot of reasons. But this morning we've looked at three. He has the right ancestry. Nobody else in history can go to Matthew chapter one and be the right one to be the Messiah. Jesus Christ can, he's the one. His ancestry shows that he's the Messiah. He has the right name. His name is the only name through which we find salvation. Are you trusting in him today? Christian, are you living in obedience to him? Is there some area where you need to obey God? Joseph obeyed God. You and I need to be people who obey God. <clears throat> this morning, if you're not saved or you're not uh, sure of your salvation, <clears throat> you know, why not settle the issue today? You could leave here knowing that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Say, if I'm going to be saved, what do I need to know? What do I need to do? Well, you need to understand that you're a sinner, right? You need to understand that uh, you can't save yourself, that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy he saves us. You need to understand there's a penalty for sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. It's not just physical death, it's eternal death death in the lake of fire. But the good news is that Jesus loves you and he died and was buried and he rose again for your salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He did that for us. And so you and I need to repent. We need to turn from our sins and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, if you will. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, the Bible says. If you've never done that, I urge you to do that today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, suffered and died on the cross, and paid our sin debt in full. And Father, we thank you.